0: We're going to be in Esther chapter 7 this morning. Esther chapter 7 is where we'll be. Be a little bit before we get there. Life is full of moments. Some of those moments are good, and some of those moments are a little difficult. Andy Stanley has made a statement about what is called a defining moment. A defining moment is this. A defining moment happens when you come face to face with a truth that invites you to change the way you live. The rapper, theologian, and all-around cool guy, Lecrae, says this. The best moments in life are those where trust is fully placed in God. And see, here's what happens. Our lives are full of moments. But there are specific moments in time that God uses us to teach us a truth to, in essence, change directions. We're actually going this way. All of a sudden, this moment comes, this situation happens, and it's an invitation for you and for me to understand a truth about who God is, and an invitation is to accept that truth and go into a different direction. Many of you are in here, we've probably had defining moments. Maybe a defining moment for you was the birth of your children. For me, that was the case. We had waited so long to have kids. Our first child, Andrew, was born. And man, I was calling everybody in the world, long live the rice name. I mean, come on. I, was the, I have a brother, but he didn't have any kids at that time. And so I was like, the rice name liveth. And I was just celebrating about that time the doctor comes in and says, we believe that Andrew has a major deformity in his heart. The chambers of his heart do not crisscross, but they go straight and parallel. That it's a major problem. We need to load him into an ambulance. We need to take him to Big Wake. And we need to do an ultrasound on his heart. I went from all of a sudden, this is an incredible moment, to all of a sudden, wow, what is happening? And through that process, the, the x-rays, the, the, the tests, showed that there was nothing wrong with the Andrew. N- nothing wrong at all. He's 10 years old. But it was in that moment that my father-in-law came up to me. And he says, you know, I was brought to Abraham and Isaac, where God tested Abraham to see, hey, Abraham, do you really believe that I am all that you need? Do you really believe that, hey, Abraham, the greatest need for Isaac is for him to see a dad that is overwhelmed by Jesus, overwhelmed by God? And my father looked at me and says, Matt... I know that you've waited a long time for Andrew to get here, but the most important thing is for you to see that Andrew's greatest need is for a dad who is passionately, vibrantly pursuing a love relationship with Jesus. It was a defining moment right there. Maybe a defining moment for you was when you got married. Man, it was you got married, somebody said yes, right? You got married. You're married, what a beautiful thing. Maybe, maybe it was when you got saved, you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe that was a defining moment for you. Maybe it was when that, a defining moment for you was when that business deal did not go so well. And in that moment, you learned great truths about who you are, but you also learned great truths about who God is, and it was an invitation for you to change. Maybe a defining moment for you is when you got out of debt and you were able to come free of that bondage of being in overwhelming debt. Maybe a defining moment for you was when someone close to you died or someone close to you was healed. And in that moment, you learned a truth about who God is, how good he is, how faithful he is, how much he sustained you. And it was in that moment where maybe you doubted or maybe you questioned, and the invitation was to come and, hey, I want you to change directions based on this truth that I'm now revealing to you. Maybe the defining moment was when you thought the marriage was to death do us part, but they didn't. Maybe you thought we're all in till death do us part, for better, for worse, for sickness and in health. Man, we're, we're all in in this thing, but they didn't believe that. And maybe it's a defining moment for you to realize how much and in that suffering and in that unbelievable time that God is faithful, he is just, he is good. And that's an invitation for you not to get bitter, it's an invitation for you to come, change directions so that you can pursue him and have an ongoing, vibrant love relationship with him. I had a defining moment for myself when I was in college. You're supposed to say amen, right? Every one of us have been to college and every one of us have probably made some pretty bad decisions when we got to college I personally made a bad decision in my first weekend of college my first weekend of college I grew up in South Windsor Connecticut and I thought man this is awesome first week of college I'm going I was the kid in high school growing up in South Windsor Connecticut that went to I don't endorse this I went to the parties and I took the kids home so they would get home safe and I got to college and I got mad at that and I got frustrated at that and I said I'm in college I'm free and here's what I said I'm gonna drink I'm just gonna drink that weekend. First weekend in college, went to Gardner-Webb University in Boiling Springs, North Carolina, a Christian school, for that matter, right? (laughs) And so you can find sin anywhere, right? And so here it is, I'm at Gardner-Webb University, I've got this motivation in my life, I am going to go drink. Matter of fact, I've never drank before in my life, and I'm just gonna go figure out what to do, because I really don't know what to do. And so I ended up in a dorm room with a bunch of guys Bunch of girls, and we just sat there, and I said, okay, now this is what you do when you're experienced. Experience, I drank vodka, and I chased it with Gatorade. Oh, you've done that too. (laughs) Who in the world does that? Obviously us, right? And so here's what happens. About that time, knock on the door. RA, open up. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. So we went to the door. We hid our little stash. We put the girls, because it's Christian college, can't, girls can't be in the room only on certain times. And so the girls were in the closet. We closed the door and all that kind of stuff. And here we are, here we are. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we opened the door and it said, We think you're drinking and we think you got girls in the room. And we were like, Nope, sure don't. Isn't that awesome? You just cover up sin with more sin, you just cover it up with more sin. Closed the door, the girls jumped out of the first floor window. Good old Garden Web University, uh, Spangler Dorm. They jumped out of the window, and he says, I was standing there, I saw the girls leave, you got alcohol, we're writing you up, you're going to see the dean. Wow. How do I explain this to mom and dad? You don't explain it to mom and dad. You pray for the good Lord to give you grace to get through this situation. And so here's this time, here's this, here's, here's what happened. I uh, got advice from this guy named Kevin Qualls. He's actually my brother-in-law. That's a really funny story. So anyway, he's my brother-in-law, and he said, man, you're just going to have to just, just, just stand, stand before the, the dean and just be honest. And so, man, I dressed up. I had, a, I had a tie on. I sat in front of him first weekend at school. I hadn't even been to class yet. <laughs> I hadn't even gone to school yet. If you were to ask me two weeks before why I went to Garden Web, I would say, because I want to go to a Christian school and I want to pursue Jesus. And two weeks later, I'm in front of the dean because I got in trouble for alcohol. So I'm standing in front of the dean. We're there 15 minutes. Where he's looking at us. We're looking at him. The RA who caught us did not show up. And the dean looks at me and he says, you know, when this happens in a court case, if the prosecuting attorney does not show up, sometimes they throw the case out. And he took his hand, and he had my file, a file. And right next to his desk was a trash can. And he took that file, and he slid his hand, and the file fell in the trash can. he says, don't ever let me see you in here again. Don't ever let me see you in here again. Make good decisions. I'm going to tell you right now, that changed the course of my college career right there. Right then and right there, I can tell you right now that that was a defining moment for me in my life it was my life is full of moments your life is full of moments but there are certain pieces of your life where God shows up in a real way to invite you to listen to a truth about himself and he invites you to change your course and life is full of moments but there are specific times where he invites you to learn a truth and change it. this is what Mark Driscoll said Sometimes, among God's people, there's no sense of timing, there's no sense of urgency, and it's often because we're absolutely, continually, selfishly consumed with our own affairs. Esther's eyes are up and not in. She's not looking at the chance that she might die, that that she might suffer, she's looking at the fate of others in the urgent situation that is set before her. There are days when you will make a decision that alters the course of your life, your whole life, And more importantly, the power you have, it will affect everyone who is under your authority, parents, spouses, pastors, business leaders, ministry leaders, teachers, keep your eyes open, keep your heart fixed towards the needs of others, and don't be a coward and miss the opportunities for God to use you to make a difference. So, your life is full of moments. But listen, there are defining moments that reveal a truth to you that invites you to change. And I will tell you this, that this morning there is a great truth. And the truth is this, is that the, I'm gonna go ahead and give it to you now. The truth is this, is that Haman went and died on his cross. But listen to me, here's the truth. Jesus went and died on your cross. And that is a huge, huge truth that you can learn right here and right now. And we can all be different because of it. We can be reminded of it, we can be refreshed of it, and maybe we can be introduced to the great love of the great father because of what he did on that cross for us. Take a look in Esther chapter seven as we go. As I said, I believe that Esther, Esther chapter seven is really a defining moment in line of the whole book, the entire scope of the book. I believe it's 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 great truth that's realized that there's a defining moment for Esther and there's a defining moment for Haman. And I believe today it could be a defining moment for you, for what you hear today. We are responsible for what we hear and act upon it. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of the truths that are found in Esther chapter seven in the defining moment. Chapter seven, verse one, it says this. So the king... And Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. Now, let's just set the stage here. So all of a sudden, the king grabs this book in chapter 6, opens it up. He happens to open it up to a place where he learns about Mordecai. Of all the chances in the world, he learns about Mordecai. What's happened to this man? We need to do something for him. Haman, put a robe on him. Haman is all of a sudden in his angst, great irony, dresses up, um, dresses up Mordecai. Then we come to chapter seven where queen, the queen is asked, what do you want? She says, I want to throw a feast. I want to have a feast and I want to have a feast with you and Haman. Now, this is Haman actually walking the proverbial plank because what's been revealed right now is that Mordecai was a Jew and Haman went before the king to eradicate, to annihilate, to destroy all of the Jews. And so you can picture Haman in his great prideful state I wonder if he's going to repent. I wonder if he's going to change. Because as I read my Bible, Haman had the opportunity to change, to, to repent and to come clean. We'll see if he does by the end. Here it is. In verse two, it says this. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king came again to Esther. Now here's the deal. Let me just set this in, in stone for, for, you, for all of us. Here is Esther at her banquet. She's throwing the banquet. You would think that she would initiate some of the conversation that's going to take place. But here's where Esther is spiritually. Esther is spiritually as she's beginning to trust not only in the providence of God, but the timing of God. She sits there to the banquet, and they're, they're coming to the banquet, they're at the banquet, and on the second day, the king initiates the conversation because here's what's taking place in Esther's life. She has a great trust in the timing, and in the providence of God. Do you? Esther doesn't come into this banquet and start running and going. Many times, a lot of us will go into a situation and we want to fix. I'm a fixer. If you're a fixer, you know what I'm talking about. You come into a situation and we want to fix. We want to change. We want to grab the bull by the horns and let's go. Let's take care of it. Esther is overwhelmed by the grace of God. She's overwhelmed by the grace of God. It's evident that her life is changing. And here's what happens. She calls a banquet and she trusts God to initiate the process. She trusts God to initiate the process. Look at verse two. And on the second day as they were drinking wine, the king asked her a question. What is the question? What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Now let me just tell you this right now. I am, I am, I am a type one diabetic. If the king is asking me at a feast, what in the world is your wish? I believe we're gonna eat these in heaven. Hot Krispy Kreme donuts, amen? All day long. I have all the insulin in the world that I need and I'm just eating Krispy Kreme donuts nonstop. That's my request. Okay, here's Esther, here's what Esther's doing. Esther comes in and the king looks at her and says, what is your request? What do you want? She says, well, let's take a look at what she says. What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. Verse three, here is the key. Then, listen, many of us, look at verse three, it says then in the ESV. Many of us would really save ourselves great pain if we just waited to respond with a then if we just waited on the then, if we just waited on the timing instead of jumping in front of God, instead of walking with him and allowing him to lead us and trusting his sovereignty. And here's what Esther, Esther is overwhelmed with, not as understanding that there is no substitute for the timing of God. There's no substitute for that. And she's resting in that and she's trusting that. And then here comes verse three. And verse three really unveils the defining moment of her life. Okay, here's the decision that she has to make. If I reveal to the king that I'm a Jew, I could die. If I reveal to the king, by the way, that's her husband, that's really strange, but that's really, the, the, the relationship was really strange. But she sits here, she sits here, and she all of a sudden, she's got this great dilemma faced, She's great dilemma she's faced with. And what is the dilemma? The dilemma is here, I could be quiet, I could just have a personal relationship with God and just walk off into the sunset and not, not tell anybody, not talk to him about anybody, just walk off and be private. But here's what happens in Esther's life. She gets overwhelmed with the providence of God. She gets overwhelmed with the sovereignty of God that she steps up with great responsibility. Listen, we heard what Ben, what, what Uncle Ben told Spider-Man, with great responsibility, with great power comes great Oh, come on, with great power comes great. And so here is Esther overwhelmed. Over, Esther is overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed with the sovereignty of God, with the leading of God, that she steps up to the plate and boldly says, yes, I want a personal face, but not only that, I want a public face, where I can step up and represent those who can't represent themselves. Take a look in verse three, how it comes. Verse three says this. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish. And listen, here's where it it comes. And my people for my request, there she goes, I'm not gonna have a private faith, I'm gonna have a public faith. This is the defining moment. I've seen how God has orchestrated everything to take place to put me in this place. I am queen of Persia. I have an opportunity to step up and step out because here's what she realizes: that God sovereignly positions and places and places people for his glory. And you're no different than that. God sovereignly positions and places you what? For his glory. For your good and his glory. And Esther comes face to face with this reality. And not only, not only does she believe it, but she stands up and represents. Keep going. In verse 4. Verse 4 says this. For we have been sold and my people to be destroyed and be killed and be annihilated. She uses the same words that Haman used to the king. Sold. Destroyed. Killed and annihilated. And Then she comes back and she reasons with the king. She understands who she's talking to. She understands the audience that she's with. She understands the process. And here's, here, here it is in verse, verse 4. It says this. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Esther demonstrates great respect for a man who does not deserve it. But she understands that the word respect is like the word agape, and that is it's unconditional. And a lot of us have learned that in marriage. And I would say this, king has not given Esther a reason to respect him. But she does. And then I would also say, men, if you're here today, give your ladies a reason to respect you. Sometimes you say, well, she won't follow. She won't follow. Well, you know what? Are you living in such a way that, that earns her respect? Matt, you're saying, oh, you just stepped on my toes. Well, put the other one out there. I want to step on both of them. <laughs> The king is not the king. The king is, is, is living in such a way that he doesn't deserve the respect. But see, here's the deal. Esther is living in such a way that her heart is open and her eyes are open to the sovereign plan of this great God that she serves. And she says, I'm gonna please him even when this guy doesn't deserve it because I sovereignly, I've been sovereignly positioned and placed for this glory that this is a moment in my life where I can step up for God and for the people of God, and for the plan of God. And she senses the urgency in doing that. Let's continue to go. Look at verse five. Another then. Then King Xerxes said to Esther, who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe, and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Esther was put in a situation where she learned some great truths about God. She learned that God could be trusted. She learned that God loved her. She learned that God has a great plan. And in the midst of learning those great truths, she stood up and made a difference in her life. And it's great, great lessons for us. Was Esther someone who daily sought after the Lord? I think what we've learned in this, in this, um, in this whole study is that Esther is just an ordinary person and God has this great, extraordinary plan and he extends extends us an invitation and sometimes we go around life and there are certain specific moments that are bigger than other moments where we have these great truths that are revealed and the invitation is saying, come, come, don't go that way. I want you to go this way. And Esther stands up and she represents and does exactly what God Has her to do because here's what we see in this: we see, we see the beautiful, um, the beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Sometimes we err sometimes on the issue of God's sovereignty by sitting there saying, "Well, God is sovereign; He'll do what He pleases to do. Just sit back and spectate and watch." And I think Esther demonstrates to us a beautiful, beautiful balance of God's sovereignty. That yes, He's in control. Yes, He yes He He leads. Yes, He's providential. Yes, He carries out His plan. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to extend an invitation to be a part of His great plan for the purpose of glorifying Him and our good. And that's what I think we see in Esther through this defining moment in her life. I I think we see another defining moment and that's carried out with Haman. If we take a look in the next part in verse seven, what's going on now? Well, all of a sudden, the king rose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. So here's the king, he finds out something really radical. He finds out that his right hand man, the one that he gave the signet ring to, the one that is one of the most powerful people in the Persian empire, is the one who has declared that I am going to wipe off his wife and not only a whole generation of people, a whole population of people. And the king had a lot to do with that. The king's decrees cannot be overturned. And so what does the king do? He runs out. Take a look in verse seven. And the king rose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to do what? This is critical. To beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that the harm was determined against him by the king. So here's what takes place. Uh, King, King Xerxes leaves. Now Haman is faced with a very, very important decision. It is Persian protocol for you not to be left alone with a woman from the king's harem. And if you are left alone, there needs to be eunuchs in, in place and you can only be around seven steps in front. Well, here's what takes place. Here's Haman. He is trapped. He is thinking, my life is in ruins. My life is all about me. I am trapped. It's not working out the way that I thought it would work. You could classify that as a defining moment. He's learning some truths. The truths are, it's not about me. I'm not God. I'm a sinner. And here's what he does. He goes and he turns to Queen Esther and he begs for his life. Now listen, that's a problem right there. See, first of all, what, what Haman could have done is he could have ran out and followed the king and talked to the king about that. That would have been Persian protocol. Also, he could have just left by himself and gone out, which would be admitting that he's guilty. But instead, what he did, knowing that it was against him, he just bowed down before Esther and begged for, her, begged for his life, which is completely against Persian protocol. Well, the king comes back in. Take a look at verse eight. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? Now, I doubt very seriously at this time that that Haman is thinking of relations. Are we clear on that? Relations. We doubt very seriously that that's what Haman has on his mind. But the king comes in and says, I can't overturn that decree, but if he does something to violate Persian protocol, well, then, man, I can just take him out. And so the king sees what he wants to see. And he sees that and he says, you criminal. Well, take a look at what happens to him. As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face, which is, in essence, he's a criminal. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said moreover the gallows moreover the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai whose words saved the king is standing at Haman's house 50 cubits high and the king said hang him on that so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai and here it is the wrath of the king is abated here is Haman he comes face to face in this moment with an opportunity, I believe, because all of scripture says that we all have the opportunity to repent. At any given time, we have the opportunity to repent and believe and get reconciled. And I think Haman comes here and the one thing he does is he begs for his life. He goes to Esther and he begs for his life. He turns in the wrong direction. I am known to be a klutz. And when you put a klutz on skis, you have the danger zone, okay? So a couple of years ago, when I was in college, back to college, I went to college, and we had this, we would go from Garden webb to Appalachian, and we'd ski from 6 to 12 at night and come home. And I was, I was skiing this one particular time, and I was getting on the ski lift, and I'm really kind of clumsy with skis, and they're kinda, you know, they get intertwined and all this kind of stuff, and I was really kind of, I'm, I'm scared to death of heights, and so I, ski lift was coming, and I, I grabbed it, but when I grabbed it, I sat on my friend Lonnie's lap, and he was next to me, and then I sort of slid and I turned this way, and all of a sudden I just grabbed where my feet are supposed to be, and I just started going up the ski lift, and I was about like this high, and I just said, "Uh uh-oh, and I dropped, okay? And I was like, that's not good. Second time, second time. Y'all, there's two, okay? So second time this happened, second time this happened, I was skiing, it was a year later, I was skiing, I was in a college ministry, and this girl came up, in Cindy, and I, I was like, I'm not going to sit on her, and I'm going to grab this, and so I did everything right, I had my skis pointed up, and I was grabbing the thing, and I sat down, and I went, ah, and all of a sudden, I went, Whoom, like this, and I had a face full of mud, Cindy didn't point her skis up, she dug into the mud, she grabbed the back of my jacket, and threw me forward into the mud, and I'm like, what's going on, I had mud everywhere, Okay, now that sets the stage for this part of my story. I'm in Colorado skiing with my wife. (laughs) And so we're skiing at Breckenridge. Dana is, we're going on a ski lift to go across the mountain. There's like a hundred gazillion slopes in Colorado. And I'm going up the mountain, going up the mountain. And uh, we get ready, we're, we're, we're getting ready to get on the ski lift. And I was like, oh gosh, there's no bar. There's no bar that you put down in front of you. There's nothing. You just, there's a pole in the middle. It's a two-seater. There's a pole in the middle. And so I keep my skis straight. I sit on the bar and I'm holding on for dear life. And I'm like this. I'm just like, I'm not letting go. I am not letting go. And Dana gets her skis intertwined in my skis. And she's sort of sideways holding on. And I want to tell you something right now. She is begging for her life. And I'm holding on. I'm like, baby, you got to call on somebody else. I'm not letting go. (laughs) I am not letting go. She's over there crying right now because she remembers that story. I, I, I just, I, what I want to say here is this. I, seriously, she was begging for life as I'm reading this text right now. And it says here, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to draw the point here. It comes and he says, but Haman stayed to beg for his life. Listen, the gospel is not about begging for your life. The gospel is about giving up your life for King Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's it's about repenting and and falling after him and coming to him. It's about serving him and recognizing that he he is sovereign, that he is sovereignly in control and he invites us to come be a part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. And here at the center of this book, at chapter seven, Esther comes and says, my faith is no longer gonna be silent. I am going to step up and I'm going to step out. And on the other side, Haman, says, I'm going to go down fighting for my life when I believe he had every opportunity in the world to give up his life and repent and follow after God. But he didn't. And because he didn't, listen to me, he went to hell. And anybody, anybody who says no to Jesus goes to hell. And I'm not up here trying to scare you, but the text is very clear that the wrath of the king is abated and there is a wrath of God that was placed on his son. Have you accepted that? Haman carried his cross. Haman went to his own cross, but Jesus went to our cross. This past week, I had a guy Come to my house and paint shutters because I'm scared of heights, as I just told you. I only have like six shutters up there. And so he came to the house to paint the shutters at my home. And so he was, he was finished, and I was upstairs in my office working on this message about defining moments and seeing the truth that is revealed in those moments. And what are we going to do about that truth? What are we gonna do with that invitation to change? To say, hey, I was going here, but you came to me at this moment so that I would stop going this way and I would go this way. And I'm, I'm all into it, I'm, I'm studying the text and all of a sudden the doorbell rings and, and he comes in, he says, I'm all done. Check it out, see what you think. Man, so I went up there and I, I looked at it as far as, I mean, I'm not a handyman guy, I'm like, looks good to me. I'm not going up there to look at it, but hey, it looks great. Nice and shined, that's great. I said, I need to give you a check, so come on inside. So he comes inside. I sit down with him at the table, took a little bit of longer process, filled out the check and wrote the check to him. And we started walking out to the door. And I said, man, um, listen, you just painted my house and, and I wanna tell you about something that has radically changed my life. And I wanna ask you something. Have you ever heard of Jesus? And you ever heard of Jesus, that Jesus loved you? And he said, nope. And I was like, wow. I said, uh, well, listen, man, I wanna tell you something really, I wanna tell you something really important. I wanna tell you something that I believe can change your life. You know, all of life, I I was all into the sermon. I was like defining moments. God gives you a truth. He's invited you to change. I was going right through it. I said, listen, you came here to to paint my house, but you could have gone to any house to paint today, but you came to my house today. And I believe that I am supposed to tell you something really important. I wanna tell you something really important. And so, man, I looked at him, I said, do you know what the word gospel means? The word gospel means good news. I said, before I tell you the good news, I want to tell you the bad news. The bad news is, man, you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And we've been that way from day one. But here's the good news. The good news is is that Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And I asked him a question. I said, let's just pretend I had $1,000 in my pocket. And I wanted you to have it. And I looked in the face I said, let me ask you this, when is it yours? Do you think that $1,000 is a good gift? He said, oh yeah, I could do a lot with that $1,000, what he said. Do you think you could do something with that gift? Yes, I do. I believe, I said, well, what if I just said, you've already painted, I gave you the money for the painting, I wanna ask you a question. When is that $1,000 yours? When I give it to you or when you accept it? And it was like a light bulb went off. He said, it's mine when I accept it. He said, man, I've never heard anything like that before. That's awesome. He kept saying over and over again, wow, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was like, well, listen, man, you can get in your car and you can make a decision to follow Jesus or you know what? You can do it right here on my steps. You can, you can say, yes, I want to follow Jesus right here, right now. He said, you know, I think I'm going to get in my car and think about that. I said, okay, close the door. 10 minutes, later, the doorbell ring. I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus. This is going to be the greatest sermon illustration in the world. This is going to be the greatest celebration of my life. And here's what happened. Listen to me. He rings the doorbell. He looks at his the phone. I woke up with great excitement, great excitement. Thinking that, man, maybe he learned that truth and he would accept that truth. And I opened the door and I said, do you? And he said, I forgot my cell phone. Now, I laughed at that too. But I'll tell you, last night, as I was going through this and praying through this, it gripped me like I've never been gripped before in my life. Because here he was presented with this incredible truth that Jesus loved him, that he died for him and has, wants to have a relationship with him. And here's what he said, I just want my cell phone." And here it is. Many of us in this room would probably say, man, I'm a believer, I got saved when I was eight years old. Maybe right now you're struggling with behavior modification that when you talk about salvation, you talk about what you do rather than what God has done. Maybe you're in here right now and someone brought you, you're out, this is the first time you're ever here and you don't know Jesus and I would sit there and tell you this right now, repent and believe you will be on the journey of a lifetime. Repent and believe that this right here, this moment could be a defining moment for you to say yes to him. Esther did not keep her faith private. Esther went public because of a truth that she heard and that she saw and she was different because of it. My question for you right now, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes for me for just a minute as we close, if I was to sit here and say these statements, as you just sit with your eyes closed, Haman was crucified for his sin. Jesus was crucified for our sin. Haman gave God's, Haman gave God's people no grace and endured wrath. Jesus endured wrath for God's people and gives only grace. Haman hung on his cross. Jesus hung on our cross. Jesus saves all who call upon him and repent of their sin. Defining moments or special moments where you come face to face with the truth that invites you to change. What truth have you uncovered or heard for the first time this morning? Is it that, man, you are a sinner and in need of a savior, then I would invite you right here right now to just call on God the best way you know how to say I'm a sinner and I ask you to save me and do that in Jesus name. I invite you to do that. I'm not gonna say a prayer or have you raise your hand but what I am gonna do is invite you like Esther is in a defining moment that that God has a great plan for you, a great plan for us as a church and his, his, his plan is for us to be redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Maybe it's a truth that you knew but now you forgot and maybe it's a time for you to repent. I would encourage you, I would encourage you, don't, don't come back to the house or come back to the church of God and just ask for your cell phone. Come to him and ask to be forgiven because he will forgive. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be justified. Let me pray with us right now. God, I love you and I thank you for this great time. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to open this word and to teach. I'm grateful for how you bring defining moments in our life and invite us to change our course. If there's anybody in here that does not know you, I pray that today, they would say, I repent and I believe. Thank you, God, for your sovereignty and thank you for encouraging us with our human responsibility. Thank you for the picture of Haman, but Lord, let us never beg for our lives. Let us repent daily in our lives so that we may be clean, so that we may be able to serve you, talk about you, and be used of you. For our good and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.